This is episode number 195 with Seth Godin. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app, which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? This episode is brought to you by Uveda. As you guys know, I'm obsessed with Ayurveda and Uveda is an epic, heart-centered, family-owned Ayurvedic company with a larger-than-life vision to create a healthier, happier world using the intelligence of Mother Nature. Now, I truly wish that none of us needed supplements. But in this modern world, with the depletion in our soil and with the full lives we all lead these days, sometimes our bodies need some extra love and support. This is why I love Uveda. They are such high-grade, Ayurvedically developed supplements to support not only your body, but your mind and soul too, helping you rebalance and come back to homeostasis, which is what the body wants. I love their mood supplements and love how they come in individual packs, perfect for someone who travels as much as I do. Now I've teamed up with Uveda to give you, the Epic MA Tribe, 35% off your first order. So all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Uveda, and that is spelt Y-O-U-V-E-D-A, and you can get your 35% off your first order right now. Seth Godin is an author, entrepreneur, and most of all, a teacher. He has written 19 books that have been bestsellers around the world and have been translated into more than 35 languages. He is also the founder of Alt MBA and the Marketing Seminar, which are online workshops that have transformed the work of thousands of people around the world. He writes about post-industrial revolution, the way ideas spread, marketing, quitting, leadership, and most of all, changing everything. You might be familiar with his books, Tribes, The Dip, and Purple Cow. In addition to his writing and speaking, Seth has founded several companies and his blog is one of the most popular in the world. And in 2018, he was inducted into the Marketing Hall of Fame. How cool is that? And his book, What to Do When It's Your Turn, is now in its fifth reprint. And his latest book, This Is Marketing, is out right now. And in today's episode, we chat about his story and how he got to where he is today, why marketing is different to advertising, his epic marketing tips. You guys are going to love these why he doesn't believe in authenticity, how to find and build a tribe for both your business and your personal life, how to spread your message and ideas, how to sell with heart, why he doesn't read his Amazon reviews. This is fascinating. The two reasons he believes are the purpose of school and how we can educate our children at home, which is just so important how to lead with heart, the future of social media, plus so much more. 
And for everything that Seth and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 195. But before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from Renee Carhill. And it's a five-star review and it's titled Life Changing in Capital Letters. And she says, I don't know where to start. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My hubby and I have been listening to your podcast from the beginning and have had our own journey, which has been purely inspired by you and each of your amazing guests. My hubby and I always find ourselves discussing your podcasts over the dinner table with so many, oh my God, did you hear that bit throughout our conversation? Your guests excite us to keep furthering our personal education while our four little men are young so we can serve and help people in the future. The work you are doing with this podcast is helping us stay on track and continuing to build our little home library with the books recommended by you and your guests. We have so much love and gratitude for all that you are doing, Melissa. Renee, thank you so much for that beautiful, heartfelt review. And this is why I do it, because I want you guys to continue your education. That's exactly what you're doing. So I'm so proud of you, Renee, and your hubby. Thank you for listening and tuning in each week. I'm so grateful. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. And without further ado, let's bring on the one and only Seth Godin. Seth, it is so great to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while now. But before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today doing the work that you now do? Like, did you know that you were always going to be doing this and writing books and teaching? Give us a little bit of background on your journey and how you got here. Well, I won the birthday lottery. I had two amazing parents. I grew up in a town called Buffalo which is outside of New York City, but halfway to Chicago, snowy and cold, great place to grow up. And I responded to all of these wonderful head starts by relentlessly failing for years and years and years, doing projects that didn't quite work. My first entrepreneurial venture was when I was 14. Uh, I sold ice cream sandwiches when I was 16, co-founded a student-run business in college, ran that for a bunch of years, never actually trying to be successful by most people's measures, mostly trying to be helpful and interesting. But I learned the hard way that you can break things, that you can show up with something people don't want, that you can find yourself with your back against the wall, window shopping at restaurants and eating macaroni and cheese for dinner night after night. And it was great. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. After business school, I got into the software business at an interesting time when I was 22 and left there when I was 25 or so to start creating books for the U.S. market and developed my first internet company in 1991 before anybody. And everyone said I was a fool and was completely out of sync, but my timing was good. And since then, I've been an author and a blogger and an entrepreneur, but mostly a teacher. I see myself as someone whose job is to help other people get to where they're trying to go. Mm, And you do a really good job of that. And there's so much I want to talk to you about. But first of all, you know, you are very prolific in your work. You know, you've written, I think it's, is it 18 books? 19 now, but thank you. Appreciate it. 19 books. And which they're just amazing. But you also write a blog post a day. And you have inspired me on my journey so much with that. And I love that you're just so deeply committed to the work, to showing up and to being of service and to helping others and to really teaching. And you can feel that in everything that you do. And you've become sort of, you know, this marketing guru. And I love that you talk a lot about telling stories through your marketing. So 
Can you talk a little bit about marketing, how we market ourselves, some of your best tips and why authentic storytelling is so important? Okay. Well, first, let's agree that marketing and advertising aren't the same thing. They were for a long time, but they're not anymore. Marketing is simply the act of a human being who's trying to make things better by showing up, offering an alternative, making some change happen. And when our marketing doesn't work, it might be because people didn't know about us, but it's probably because we didn't see them. We didn't know what they needed. We didn't solve their problem. Because if we can do that, and if we can do it in a way that they want to tell other people about, then there isn't a problem. There isn't, oh, no one wants what I have. There isn't a, how do I run more ads or spam more people or do my least favorite thing, which is that hustle. That's not necessary when you are carrying around a life jacket and somebody else is drowning. You toss them the life jacket and they say, thank you. So our job is to make something, a service or a product, not to help us, but to turn on lights and open doors for other people. And so once we have that definition of marketing agreed upon, then the question is, what do people see? What do they understand? And we must realize that people don't know what we know. They don't want what we want. And they never, ever know the details of our life the way we do. What they will get, the very best they can get, is a small shadow of what we put on, that the story that they take away is their narrative of who we are and what we do. So if you live a story consistently, because I don't like the word authentic, but if you are consistent in making promises and keeping them, you are really much more likely to have people hear you and see you and want to engage with you. And my problem with authenticity, just to wrap up this rant, is authenticity is this selfish thing where you get to say, oh, I don't feel like it today. And say, well, that's what the internet wants for me to be my authentic, true self. No, it's actually not what we want. We're not spectators in your life story. What we want is a professional. And what professionals do is they show up even when they don't feel like it. Mm, Really good distinction. Really good distinction because, you know, for me, I know I've really focused on being authentic, but that's kind of really shifted things. It's, yeah, being consistent. And I know a lot of people have said to me before, you know, they feel they feel slimy or they feel sleazy when they're marketing. But when you are, I love that analogy of if you've got a life jacket and someone's drowning, you throw it to them. It's, it's, you are offering a solution to help people. And that's so beautifully what you do with your work. And it really is about being consistent. It's about showing up. It's doing the work. And I just love that about you. So what are some other strategies or other tips and tricks that you have around marketing? Because I know a lot of people listening have their own businesses or they want to start their own dream business. So what are some other tips? Well, the first thing I'd say is having looked at some of your work and listened to some of your podcasts, I don't think you're unprofessional. I think that you have sacrifice the authenticity of being in a really bad mood, the authenticity of wanting to yell at somebody, the authenticity of being completely unkempt for something better than that, which is a version of your best self, the best you can muster when you're engaging with someone. And that's what all of us want. And so when we think about tips and tricks to get started, I am sort of allergic to tips and tricks. And instead, (laughs) I think that people can focus on the smallest viable audience, not the biggest one. And I had a blog post today about this idea that, you know, the most popular podcast in the world has been listened to by one out of every 2,000 people on earth. No matter how big you are, no matter how famous you are, no one, by a rounding error, will have ever heard of you on the face of the earth. So we know we're never going to reach everyone. So let's begin by choosing to reach the people we seek to reach who want to be reached by us. Maybe it's 10 people or 100, or as Kevin Kelly has pointed out, 1,000 true fans. There's 1,000 people who would miss you if you were gone, Melissa. And each one of those true fans 
paid you a hundred Australian dollars a year, you'd be set. You wouldn't be rich, but you'd be set. If there were 10,000 of those people, you'd be rich. 10,000, that's all you need out of 7 billion people. So if we start with the smallest viable audience and we get to pick who they are and you can delight them and you can thrill them and you can engage them and connect them and lead them so well that they will tell their friends, then you're done. So there's my tip and there's my trick. Don't try to be everything to everyone. Try to be a meaningful, specific, not a wondering generality. Mm, I love that. You've got three steps to building a tribe. So what are they? Well, I'm going to make up three new ones because I don't. the book was 12 years ago, but here we go. <laughs> a tribe is a group of people who are connected in some way by a goal, by a fashion, by a way of being. So certainly the people who drive a Harley-Davidson motorcycle are part of a tribe. And it's really important to understand they're not your tribe. Fast Company Magazine, that's made it to Australia, right? Yes. In one form or another. So Fast Company Magazine didn't invent the tribe of freelancers and big thinkers and people who want to make a difference. They just showed up when the tribe needed them. And so we begin by realizing the tribe will exist with or without us. And so our job is to show up and see them. It's to show up and earn their trust and attention. And then it's to lead them, to say to that tribe, I'm going over there. Who wants to come? So when the Mac was first getting started, I was a beta tester in 84. I was totally in the Apple tribe. For 10 or 15 years, Steve could say, over there, we're going to go do that, right? And we did because we wanted to be with each other. But then when Apple got greedy and started figuring out how to sell an iPhone to everyone on the planet, lots of people like me said, you know what? The tribe isn't about Apple. Apple just connected us for a while. And so now we can connect in a different circle. So our job, if we're going to please and delight and dance with the smallest viable audience, is to realize that they are probably in a tribe. They probably see each other in the same way. They might be triathletes. They might be stay-at-home moms. They might be people who like juggling, right? But we get the chance to narrate for them and to set the table for them. So for someone starting out, like where can they look for these tribes? So here's what my suggestion is. Don't do what you know. Don't say, well, I live in this little corner of this little world and I like to drink coffee, so I'm going to open a coffee bar. Because the easier it is to start, the less it's worth. Because there's no scarcity. Because lots of people want to be a freelance calligrapher doing upscale invitations for upscale weddings. There's no, there's no shortage there because it's fun and it was easy. Instead, find a group of people Maybe they're totally different than you, who really need you, who need to be seen by you. So for example, there are probably 5,000 plumbing contractors in Australia. And plumbing contractors don't get a lot of media. They don't get profiled on the front page of the newspaper. But they've got real issues, issues about productivity and issues about technology. If you showed up and met with 10 of them, I bet you could find a whole bunch of ways that you could use off-the-shelf tools like Slack to make their lives much better. And if you said, this is what I specialize in, the only people I serve are plumbing contractors in Australia or in New South Wales or in this part of the world. That's what I do, and I do it better than anyone else. I do it in a way that connects them and creates value for them well, then within a very short period of time, you won't have to go make cold calls. People will be calling you because you have a life jacket and they're drowning. Mm. And how does this concept apply to our personal life as well? You know, it's so apparent, you know, we can offer this value to these people that need like the plumbers, but like for our personal life, I feel like we're so divorced of community and tribe these days. And how can we cultivate more of that in our personal circle. Yeah, that's a great point, Melissa. So we're all alone together. And there are more people on your screen and more people passing you on the street than ever before, but we feel 
disconnected and alone. And we are just waiting for someone to organize us and waiting for someone to see us. And so you probably guessed what the answer is, which is that could be you. And what we found in the Alt-MBA, the workshop I run, is that strangers from 74 countries come together and for 30 days, they give and get more feedback than they've ever gotten in their life. And they see and be seen more than they ever knew they could. And the really cool thing about it is it creates a pattern for them because they realize they have neighbors, they have people in their community, they have family members who they haven't seen, truly seen before. And it's up to us to do it. We can't wait for the media to do it. We can't wait for the government to do it. It's up to us to do it. And there's nothing stopping us except our fear. Mm, That fear of possibly rejection or yeah, looking silly or whatever it is, because yeah, we have these amazing, I mean, social media, it has allowed us to connect with people all over the world and, and same with your programs. But I feel like so many people are really craving that in-person connection, that community vibe, the neighbors, that sort of thing that we had, you know, decades ago. So you're saying, get out there, just go out there, just do it, just create it. If that's what we truly desire, don't wait, just go and do it. Well, my friend Lisa moved to LA, which is 3,000 miles from here, and didn't know anyone. So she and her partner decided that every Thursday night, they would have a potluck dinner at their apartment. doesn't cost anything to have a potluck dinner. And whenever she met someone from work or wherever, she would say, come to my house. We're having a potluck dinner on Thursday. And within two months, there were 40 people coming to dinner every week, sitting together, talking to each other, sharing stories, not being strangers. That's one person with no resources built a community. And you can bet that when she left LA after three years, a lot of people missed her. Mm, that's so nice. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really inspiring. It, we, I think we do. We kind of sit back and we wait for someone else to lead us. And we're all just kind of sitting here waiting, going, well, I don't want to do it. Like someone else do it. And I love that. You know, people are waiting for you to step into that role. And you talk a lot about leadership and it really is, I think, from what I've witnessed is is that one person that just has the courage to kind of step forward and say, this is what I'm doing. And you can almost see this sigh of relief on everybody's face when they do. Well, that's right, because we've made everything transactional. We've created this sort of research behavioral economics trading of favors so that You treat other people like a pawn in a system, and maybe you'll get paid in the end. And when someone shows up with genuine generosity, just to give, just because they can, it's extraordinary. And that gets at what it means to be a human. Being a human doesn't mean you enable capitalism. Capitalism's job is is to enable us to be humans. Mm, Yeah, so true. So true. There is. I feel like there's so much transaction in not only in work, but then also in personal life. There's always that, well, I'll do this for you, but I want to get something in return. There's got to be. But what are your thoughts on energetic exchange? Like, I believe that, you know, energy is really important. And I feel like there kind of has to be a bit of an energetic exchange. But are you kind of saying that there doesn't? We just give without any expectations, without expecting anything in return? Well, let's talk about enrollment for a minute. Enrollment means that I volunteered to be here. I'm going on the journey with you. So there's two kinds of education, mandatory education, which hardly works at all, and voluntary education, which works great. So you know, if you like cricket statistics, you probably know who the the greatest batsman of all time is and what his best year was. You didn't do that because it was on a test. You didn't do that to get an A. You did it because you were enrolled, because you were a volunteer. So if I look at an online dating site like Tinder, the energetic exchange of charisma in exchange for sex or longer-term relationships is totally appropriate because we're both enrolled in that journey. That's why we went to this site, right? There's no confusion there. On the other hand, if you're walking down the street and you see someone who needs a hand across the street, 
it would be really confusing if after you helped them across the street, you asked them for $5, <laughs> right? Because that person wasn't enrolled in paying you to help them cross the street. You yeah. volunteered. That was a generous act. So what the, the shift in our culture has done is created all of these confusions about who's enrolled, who's enrolled in what, what's on offer, who gets what and why, right? And so my, my point is that it's hard to trust, it's hard to be present if you think that it's going to be followed by a squeeze page. That when I wrote Permission Marketing, what I wrote about 20 years ago was you could say to people, give me your email address and I'll send you more information. That evolved to, I wrote this 80-page ebook and I will sell it to you in exchange for your email address. Well, now that I have my email address, I'm going to send you 400 emails until you buy something from me. That's not where it began, right? It began with raise your hand if you want to hear from me, not raise your hand because I bought your attention. And that shift, I think, is important because what is Facebook? Is Facebook a place we go to find the others? Is it a place we go to look up an old high school sweetheart? Or is it a place where it is assumed that you are about to become a victim of transactional marketing? <sighs> Yeah. Wow. It's, it's so interesting thinking of it like that, thinking, you know, I love that little story about helping someone across the street. I think that's a really important thing to remember. And it's something that I'm constantly trying to do as well as, is just giving and not expecting anything in return and over delivering and just giving great content. That's, that's what I want to do is just offer great content and serve people and and be of service and and be helpful you know every that's what this podcast is all about is like i interview people that i'm interested in and i want to share that with others but it's not a hobby and and i need to make it clear there is nothing wrong with making a living and so totally you know so what i'm saying to somebody is if you want to talk to me on a podcast well that's a thing I'd love to do. And I'm not here to sell you something. I'm here to have a conversation that will be helpful to the people who are listening to it. But if you want me to get on a plane and fly to your city and give a speech, that's not free. And it shouldn't be free. In fact, it's really expensive. And you can hire people cheaper than me. I hope you will so I don't have to fly there. But if you really want me, this is what it costs. And if you're not enrolled in that journey, at least I was really clear to you about what's on offer. And dividing this line, if you make something digital, is really important. Because if you don't, you're constantly going to be second-guessing yourself and other people. Oh, is this the digital stuff that's free or is this the digital stuff that's expensive? How am I supposed to tell them apart? And we've seen this over and over again. For example, the shift in music was a vinyl record costs $8 because you own a physical good that you can listen to again and again. But then when we go digital, well, you can listen to my song as many times as you want for free, sort of like radio. But if you want to come to the concert venue, which has a finite number of seats, that costs money. Again, we've made it really clear which side of the line the engagement is on. And what I am describing here to, to you know, a 25-year-old who's just getting started in businesses, there is nothing wrong with selling life jackets to drowning people. What's wrong is pretending that you're a free lifeguard. And then when you get there saying, oh, by the way, you owe me some money. Yeah, that is, that's slimy. That kind of stinks. And it doesn't feel good for anybody. Exactly. And it makes it hard for you to be excited when you wake up in the morning. And the goal here is to be so remarkable in the work you do that people are demanding that you offer them another chance to pay you. And if you're not that good yet, do more work to get that good. Mm, yeah. So how can we spread our messages? How can we make an impact? If there's someone listening who's like, I have this idea or this product and I know it's great, how can I get it out there and spread my message? So, you know, Mark Andreessen said that of the thousand deals he's invested in, not one came from somebody who did a cold pitch, 
found him on an elevator, sent him an email, said, please, please, please pick me. Not one. That the way ideas actually spread is when someone who has been moved by what you do tells someone else. So my blog has a million readers a day. I have never run an ad for my blog. It had a hundred readers a day for a year. But over time, those hundred people told someone else who told someone else who told someone else. That's how it's done. You might think it's done by writing scammy ads on Facebook or Insta or wherever, but no, that's the way some businesses amplify what they do. But at the core, if you're going to succeed, it's because someone you blew away couldn't go to bed until they told someone else. Yep. That's so good. It's so good. And yeah, for me, one of my missions and one of something that I truly believe in is is over-delivering, is always every touch point that I have, I really try and make it an experience for someone else where they want to tell somebody else, you know, where they go, oh my gosh, you know, she did this and then they emailed me this and then they gave me, like, that's how I, that's how I want to do business. And I love that, you know, you don't, you haven't run a single ad for your website and you get 1 million readers a day. That is just amazing. And it comes back to what we were talking about before about consistency and consistency. Like how long have you done that for? How long have you done one blog post a day for? Well, I don't know the exact date, but before that it was two or three a day. And then I had to slow down because my readers were whining about the fact that they felt like they were falling behind. But it's been more than 15 years, and it might be 20. But I want to add a new idea here, which is the idea of tension, which will surprise some people. Because what we do if we're marketers is we are making change happen. That there's the world before we got there and the world after we got there. There's a world before Melissa, and there's the world after Melissa. And change is scary. Change is something that we resist. You cannot show up and expect a standing ovation every time you bring change to the world because it represents a threat. And what we do then as marketers is we willingly inflict tension on people. The tension of it might not work. The tension of I'm going to fall behind. The tension of I'm going to miss it. The tension of my competitor is going to get ahead. The tension of the concert's going to sell out and I won't have a ticket. We do that on purpose and it's okay The same way when you stretch a rubber band to get it from one place to another, you are creating tension. And we have to be okay with that because we're not creating tension for our selfish ends. We're creating tension because we believe that the people who are going to be under tension will change for the better when we're done. And that means it's okay to have a deadline. It's okay to have a scarce resource. It's okay to say there's only going to be 25 people in this group and we're up to 22. Do you want to come or not? And if you are doing it in service of a change you are proud of, then I think your only option is to embrace that. Mm. I see a lot of women who are just starting out and they they really struggle with the word sales and they don't want to feel slimy or salesy or think you know anything like that and i think this is going to be so helpful for them because when you can just share consistently and can show up and tell stories like you say that's really what you're doing and i just feel like i'm just you know feel like this is going to be so helpful for those women who really struggle with that so thank you well, let's let's dissect it just a little bit because it's not as easy and shiny as I'm describing it. First of all, let's agree that nobody likes slimy, short-term, manipulative selling, and yeah. neither one of us is talking about that. But on the other hand, if you've ever been courted, if someone wanted to go out on a date with you and courted you and you were glad that they did, I think that's sales. If you've ever gone to buy a car and ended up with a car that wasn't exactly what you expected and you're glad you did, you can thank a salesperson for that. And if you ever bought a house that you bought without just going online and clicking buy, 
Well, then it's probable that someone sold it to you. So there is a huge role for good selling. And what selling is, is a human being bringing confidence and care to the table to help you get unstuck. And to do that, they created some tension. And most people don't go car shopping for fun. They don't say, oh, it's Saturday. Let's go spend three hours having someone try to sell us a car. That part's not fun, but we endure it because we're glad to get to the other side where we end up with the car we always wanted. Now, a bad car salesman, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about a good one. So I do not believe that this model of I'm going to blog about my life every day and put up pictures of me sitting in the poppies of Encinia, California in a cute hat for free over and over and over again until one day someone pays me money. I don't believe that's a career. I think there's a short-term moment if you're cute enough that you can get away with that and maybe someone will pay you to be a quote influencer unquote. But regardless of your gender, I don't think that's the career that you're destined to have. I think the alternative is to say, here's some content. Here's some content. I hope this helps you. I am earning your trust and attention. And then say, and here's some tension. Here's some tension about what I'm going to do with other people, but not you, because you're not coming to the conference unless you buy this ticket. Here is a book I'm writing, and it's a real book, and it's 300 pages long. And I'm not going to give you the whole book for free, but you already trust me, and I'm going to trade you the fact that if I sold you something lousy, you wouldn't trust me anymore for the fact that I am asserting there are things inside this book that will change your life and that you will want to buy four because if you give them to three other people, it will change their lives. Tension is created because, oh, this is a pretty big risk this person took. I better look into it because I trust them. And so what we do to make things better is we go out on a limb on behalf of people who are afraid to go out on the limb without us. Mm, yes, I love that. I love it. It's so good. You know, everyone has a different definition of success, but obviously, you know, your books have been incredibly successful. What do you attribute your success to? Okay, well, if we're going to talk about the success of, of books, it's too late to be the next Seth Godin because I already am Seth Godin. <laughs> I got in before anybody who's listening to this and I knew how to make books. I did 120 books as a book packager. So it's not relevant to say, I'll do what Seth did. But I think that what we've discovered is that if you can be somebody who is willing to be wrong on a regular basis, that's interesting to early adopters. That's interesting to people who like things that are new. And every once in a while, if you are right, you can repeat yourself over and over and over again. And that's interesting to the people who are in the early majority, in the middle of the curve. And those are the two things I do. I put things into the world that people say are stupid and sometimes they come true. And I am not only consistent, but I am persistent in my consistency in that I don't have a new idea every day. I am telling people something they already know in a way that they can share. And they like that because they want to be able to share. They want to be able to help other people. So I shouldn't have had to write about permission marketing after January 1999, which was 20 years ago. But I'm still writing about it because everyone didn't get the memo yet. And we, if we Stop when we have heard it before. We aren't serving the people who need to hear it again. Mm, yeah, exactly. And how do you not take it personally when you do get things wrong and, and people, you know, say things like, how do you not take it personally or get affected by it? Well, there, there are a couple of things here. First of all, I think it's really important to insulate yourself from useless noise. Not useful feedback, but useless noise. So I don't read my Amazon reviews and haven't for more than seven years. And the reason is no one has ever read all of their one-star Amazon reviews and become a better writer. doesn't work that way. What a one-star Amazon review means is 
this wasn't for me. I'm not the kind of person that likes a book like this. Okay, thanks for letting me know, but that's not going to help me write a better book. All you've told me is it's not for you. Okay, I got it. Thank you. And my answer really is thank you. We understand each other now. But J.K. Rowling has way more one-star reviews than I do because the more people who read your book, the more people are going to say it's not for me. Totally cool. I don't use Twitter. I don't use Facebook because I don't want to hear from anonymous masses of people who are ranting just to get a response from me. Not interested. But when a non-anonymous loyal reader reaches out to me and says, I think you were off on this one, again, my feedback is thank you. Because if I was driving a car from Melbourne to Sydney and I was headed in the wrong direction, I would really appreciate it if the person in the front seat who I trust would say, you know, Seth, it's the other direction. Thank you very much. And that's the idea. We are driving somewhere together. And sometimes I'll find a shortcut. And sometimes you'll say, you're going the wrong direction. And then I'll say, thank you very much. Mm, That's a really nice way of looking at it. And what about haters? Like, how do you, you know, when people are very intentionally negative, or do you just not see that? Oh, I work very hard not to see it. And I hope if someone is a hater who's listening to this, they think very hard about the fact that this is about their desire to feel that thrill. And there's a cost to it. And the cost to it is you're going to hurt somebody. And if you wouldn't say it to their face non anonymously, I don't think it's a good idea to say it to them in an email. Mm. Yeah, it's really important. Really, really important. I think it's quite rough at the moment as well, especially the the keyboard warriors that are just sitting behind their keyboard and being anonymous and saying very, very hurtful things. It's, it's, yeah, if you wouldn't say it to their face, then it's it's really something that people need to look at because it's not okay. It's not nice. Well, it's more than not nice because what you what you're doing is making it so that you won't have the chance to engage with somebody in the future. That you don't, you don't get many chances to make a first impression, and you don't get many chances to support and encourage people who have something to say, who have a new kind of life jacket. And so, if it's not for you, it's not for you. Please move on. No one's making you. But if it is for you, then reach out. Not only should you reach out to somebody who made things better. But it makes sense to reach out to someone who's about to make things better, to encourage them, to say, I see you, I'm rooting for you. Thank you for giving this a try. Because we don't get another planet to live on and another culture to be part of. So if we can feed our culture and make it better, we all benefit. Yeah, so true. All right, I have another question for you. If we could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, besides your 19 books, what is one book that you would choose for that high school age? So I wrote a book called Stop Stealing Dreams. It's free. It doesn't count as one of my 19 books. It's at at stopstealingdreams.com. And that's not necessarily the book I would pick, but I would hope that anyone who cares about school would read it. That's why it's free. And if you don't have time, there's an 18-minute TED Talk on the same site. And basically what I'm asking is to parents and everyone else who touches school to ask a very simple question. And the question is, what is school for? And when you think about it, we're spending trillions of dollars a year and we're not asking the question about what it's for. Like we know what chocolate ice cream is for, but what is school for? And if people just asked that question, I would be happy. But in the book, I propose two answers, which is that school is to teach kids to lead and to solve interesting problems. Not to memorize, because that's stupid. You can look it up. Not to regurgitate, because computers can do that, but to lead and to solve interesting problems. And the book that I wrote about that is called Lynchpin. And I refuse to recommend somebody else's book when I can recommend the book I worked the hardest on. And what I write about in Lynchpin is there's a bifurcation in the economy. Most people are still doing the old job, which is do what you're told and wait to get picked. And they're afraid and they're looking for reassurance and they want to get to the next step when someone tells them it's time. And the alternative is to be a Lynchpin. 
the one we would miss if you were gone, the one who leads and solves interesting problems. And I think our future post-AI, as the world gets more and more shaky on its foundations, is not that there's going to be a shortage of compliant workers, but that there's going to be a shortage of leaders. What if the school that that your child or you are going to doesn't teach you very well about leadership or solving problems? Right. Then what? Almost no school does. Mm. Well, the good news is that you homeschool your kids from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week. And in those 49 hours, it is now up to the parent who just answered the question, what is school for, to create an environment for free-range kids where kids are challenged not to get an A, because A's are way overrated, but challenged to do things like write poetry, edit Wikipedia, start a nonprofit, figure out how to organize the community. You don't need a permit to do those things. You can do those things when you're 12 years old. When you're eight years old, you can teach a seven-year-old how to get through her math homework. Now, we can create a home culture, a community culture, where kids are not pushed to do well on the test, but instead where kids are pushed to do what's in their heart and to make things better. And how can we, by just doing little things like encouraging them in their community and things like that, like I have a 13-year-old stepson and I'm just thinking about him and like how I can encourage him to step more into that leadership role. And so do you just think things like the community or just around the house and things like that? Well, so you're a 13 year old. Do you, do you live near a city? Yes. Okay. So the first thing is, how was your day at school? Is not a useful question at 3:15 in the afternoon. You always get a good right. <laughs> exactly. A more useful question is, who did you help today? A more useful question is, what did you do today that didn't work? Or what do you believe that nobody else believes? That challenging kids to bring home stories that have nothing to do with compliance is the first step. Another step, take your kid downtown, give him six bucks, and tell him to figure out how to get his way home. He can handle it, right? Figure out how to create a blog where the kid, anonymously if you want, writes something, anything, any every day, posts a photo every day, not to fit in with the other teenagers, but to stand out in a generous way. That every 13-year-old, I used to run a summer camp, every 13-year-old cares about something. And we know that their main goal in life is to undermine and separate from their parents. So they're not going to do this to make you happy, but they're going to do this because they're desperate to be seen. And one way to be seen is to you know join a gang and smoke cigarettes, but another way to be seen is to be a contribution. So if we can open the door for kids to get all of the feedback that comes from being a contribution, then they get enrolled in that journey. And they're not doing it to please you anymore. They're doing it because that's who they become. Mm, I love that. And what about if they are more shy? Like if they're more on that shy end of the spectrum? Well, nothing I'm talking about requires charismatic face-to-face exchange of energy Mm. that one shy young man I worked with for a long time figured out that coding, writing in Ruby and Perl and all the other online languages that he could learn was a great way for a shy kid to build something, right? That if you build an app and put it in the app store and people start using it, well, what could be better than that if you're a shy programmer? There's no one stopping you from doing that. And it doesn't need 100,000 customers. It needs seven customers, seven people who said, I downloaded your time zone app and it just saved me from a lot of hassle. Wow, what a thing to have happen when you're 14 instead of worrying about how a nervous 14-year-old girl likes you or doesn't like you. That's horrible. Whereas having an app that you built that you decided to build, that you shipped, that's what it means to lead if you're shy. And does is everyone a leader? Like, What if every single human being on this planet 
was the leader, like what would happen then? Wouldn't that be great? I have been talking about this for 10 years, Melissa, and I am not imminently unemployed. That if that happens, get back to me. It's not going to happen. I really hope it does. We are not going to run out of people who want to be told what to do. But there's nothing stopping people from leading. I have studied leaders for decades, and the only thing they have in common is they don't have anything in common. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, it's something that I've often thought about. I'm like, what would happen if every single person wanted to be an entrepreneur, wanted to be a leader, wanted to go out there, share their message? And yeah, what would happen to the way the world works? And, and yeah, that's so interesting, really interesting. So tell us a little bit now about Alt-MBA, your online program. Tell us about that and some of the results that you've seen with that. Well, here's what's fun and easy. Make a bunch of videos and call it a course. There are a lot of people who want to take a course that's filled with a bunch of videos. And for a while, on places like Skillshare and Udemy, you could make a decent living doing that. I saw this happening. I've built some of the most popular courses in the world. And I also realized that 90% of the people who start them don't finish them. And that's a good result. For many MOOCs, it's 96%. And I said, well, if I was going to actually build a new kind of education online, using real tools, not optimized for scale, but for impact, what would I do? Well, instead of making it cheap, I would make it expensive. Instead of having no coaches, I would have a coach for every five or 10 people. Instead of having videos, I would have no videos and have it be all about projects and face-to-face communication, video conferencing, and group work. And instead of it being go at your own pace, it would be two or three hours a day, every day for a month, a sprint. So that's what we built. That's what the Alt-MBA is. And we teach people to lead. We teach them to see the world differently. We teach them that they can get way more done than than they thought. We teach them to make better decisions. And we teach them to persuade others of their point of view. And I ran it once just to see what would happen, 120 people. And it worked so well, we ran it again. And now we're running the 29th session. And we have more than 3,000 grads from an 80-year-old in the Isle of Man to 20-year-olds in California, tons of people from the APAC region. And it doesn't matter if they're from big companies or little companies, they're learning something and seeing something new. And that worked well enough that we've now launched these other workshops, which are different. They're easier and more video-based. They don't have coaches, but They're more tactical, things about marketing and freelancing and bootstrapping and podcasting. And we call those the Akimbo workshops, and people can find out about them at akimbo.com, A-K-I-M-B-O. Awesome. We can link to all of that in the show notes as well. But I'm curious, with the Alt-MBA, do you have to have a business or a company or you don't? No, it's not about the tactics of being an entrepreneur. So we've got people from Amazon, Microsoft, Chabani yogurt, up and down the big company list. But we also have people from the Red Cross, from the Acumen Fund. We have freelancers, soloists, entrepreneurs. We had one guy who was the head roadie for the Smashing Pumpkins rock group. This is about being a contributor in our modern economy. It's not about starting a business. Right. Okay. Love it. Love it. So beautiful. Now, this has been awesome. I've loved our conversation so far. Is there anything else that you want to share or any last parting words of wisdom on on marketing, on leadership, on tribes, anything? Well, you know, what comes through from the minute someone engages with your work, Melissa, is how deeply empathic you are to the dreams and the fears of the people you are serving. And empathy is contagious and empathy matters. You can't cause someone else to change unless you have empathy. The empathy to realize they don't know what you know, they don't want what you want, they don't believe what you believe, and that's okay. And we've got to be able to say that last sentence, and that's okay. Because you're going to bring them something 
that offers them a way forward. You don't have to be a three-year-old to make toys for three-year-olds. I think we can all agree on that. Well, the same thing is true for all of the opportunities that each of us have. You don't have to be the other person to help the other person. You just have to have empathy for them. Mm, Yeah, I definitely agree. This has been so beautiful. And I'm a massive believer in service. And I want to know how I and the listeners can serve you today. Like, what can we do to be of service to you? The most important thing is not to send me email. And the second most important thing is to send email to someone else that says, I see you and I appreciate you and thank you for opening a door for me. And if we can figure out how to create that forward cycle of people seeing the other, leading the other, solving problems for the other, then it creates this forward ratchet and the whole world, the whole culture gets better incrementally day by day. That is us at our best. That is my mission, is to help people learn and to believe in themselves enough that they can open those doors. What do you see for the future of social media and the online world? Like, what what do you see? Well, I think people are finally waking up to realize that they are not, that they didn't build social media for us, that we are the product, we are not the customer, that if you're not paying a subscription, they are doing something to you for money. And I'm hopeful that people are going to get tired of being manipulated by the device in their pocket and will get back to what's on their agenda as opposed to doing what's on Mark's agenda. Mm. And and do you mean in terms of purchasing and things like that or just being all of it controlled by that device? I haven't looked at my phone in, in I don't know, 6 hours and that's okay. And I don't organize anything in my life to be popular on Twitter, and that's okay. And I'm not going to get sucked into the breaking news cycle, because guess what? If you hear about anything that's happening in the news four hours later, that's okay. That we don't have to be victims of all of this. It's up to us. And there are people who are trying to addict us to a cycle of dissatisfaction. So we will spend more time and spend more money, but you don't have to be dissatisfied if you don't want to. Mm, it's a choice. It is. It's very hard to walk past it, like an alcoholic walking past a bar, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Mm. And how do we how do we set those boundaries? Is it about making a conscious choice within ourselves to say I'm not going to let this device dictate and run and ruin my life or you know, do you have any other advice or strategies on how you have done that for yourself? Well, I, I'm a pretty intentional person. There are things I eat, things I don't eat. There are things I do and things I don't do. It's very black and white for me. There are other people who have no problem with the gray areas. And if that works for you, that's terrific. But you know, if you're walking down the street with your 12-year-old and your 14-year-old and someone comes up to offer you guys some heroin, not only aren't you going to buy any heroin, you're going to call the cops. And yet, we are seeing the impacts Uh, time and satisfaction and joy that addiction to social media is causing. But it comes wrapped in a shiny wrapper, so we think it's okay. And you can make the choice any way you want to make the choice. My only point on this topic is it is a choice, and we shouldn't deny it isn't a choice. Mm, So true. So true. It's kind of yeah, concerning a little bit about how what's going to happen if if we just keep going down that path. And it's something that I'm very intentional with as well, but catch myself in those cycles. And I'm just like, this is, I, I, there's nothing in my body that feels good right now when I'm doing this, you know, checking social media or, or anything like that. And it's, we really do have to be intentional. And I love, you know, be black and white. I do this, I don't do this. I you know, turn this off at this time. And I think creating those boundaries for ourselves is really important. Well, thank you for leading the charge on this. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard for your 13-year-old especially, but lots of things are hard. And it turns out that when you push away the easy things, you get to do the things you want later. Mm. That's so true. And it's actually interesting, like witnessing 
the 13-year-olds and his friends and watching how some of them are already incredibly addicted and let that run and ruin their life and and you hear about the anxiety that that child is experiencing and the erratic behavior and then you see the other children who don't even have phones and how they are different in within themselves you know they they don't have that anxiety or they don't have that stress within their system so it's really interesting to witness from my perspective from what they're experiencing at such a young age already and it's just yeah it's opening my mind and blowing my mind but we're very intentional and with Leo and and his boundaries around it as well because yeah we don't want it to go down that path yeah we're in for some interesting times you know between the internet becoming mass at the same time it's micro meaning that more people use it than ever before but there is no homepage for the internet there is no one spot where everyone is doing the same thing and we combine that with the cataclysm that's going to happen as sea levels rise and we're in for some super interesting times and there will be ups and there will be downs, but it's people like Leo that are going to get us out of this mess. So I am optimistic that he will become the kind of leader that we need. Mm, it's really interesting when you were talking about, I agree with you. And when we we're talking about before coding, he's obsessed with coding and he's doing, you know, two years above him at the moment, coding classes and, and two years above him maths. Yeah. He's, he's just loves that. And, and he's, so interested in solving problems like that for him is like he just loves it so fantastic yeah and i think he's his school that he goes to is very good in that sense you know they're very focused on solving problems and i'm really happy that you know you said that about solving problems and leadership because i was like oh i feel like his school does a good job of that but we can always do more at home that's right and it, it leads to lots of discomfort in the afternoons and around the dinner table and that discomfort is called tension and that's your job and it took me a little while to figure it out but understood that that's the hardest part of parenting is persistently creating tension that leads to the outcomes that the people you are parenting want. Mm. Yeah, I've never really looked at it like that. And I didn't expect this to go down the parenting and you know paths, which is really interesting. So yeah, I, I really love that. Thank you. And and for me, it's like I've always pondered my role in his life being a stepmom. And at the very beginning, I felt like really I was floundering, trying to find my position and where I fit into this puzzle. And yeah, that's really helpful for me and, and my role for him and future child or children as well. Well, I'm glad I could contribute even a little. I'm certainly no expert on this and I don't pretend to be, but <laughs> I think there are, there are good questions that we need to ask each other. I just want to say what a pleasure it was to talk to you, Melissa. You're as good at this as everyone says you are. Oh, thank you so much, Seth. That was awesome. I'm really grateful for the work that you do and for taking the time to chat to us today. So grateful. Keep doing everything that you're doing. And thank you again. Cheers. Thanks for the time. Bye-bye. What a beautiful man. I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to come and join the private MA Tribe Facebook group, where you can share your insights from this episode. Plus, tell me who else you want me to get on the show. It's also a sacred and safe space where we can come together to discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversation. You'll also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one thing that I get asked a lot is where can I find my tribe or where can I find like-minded people? This is it, my friends. So head on over to melissaambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join now. 
And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 195. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention is that if you haven't got my book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex, do yourself a favor and head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And make sure you also check out the free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. If you haven't left a review for the show yet, please, please, please do it. I know if you've been thinking, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, please do it now because it would mean the world to me and it will help the show and it means I can get even more epic people on here for you. So go over and leave that review right now. Thank you so much in advance. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.